Um, All right, we're rolling. <laughs> uh, hey, Anthony, uh, thanks for joining me. Today I have uh, Anthony Castrio on the Three Ideas podcast. Uh, Anthony is the founder of Indie Worldwide. Um, so thanks so much for, for joining me, Anthony. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So could you just give me a little background? Maybe, you know, if, if you had to explain what you do to an Uber driver or maybe someone's grandparents, how, how would you describe what you do? What I've been saying lately is I own a community for startup founders. They pay me a membership fee to join the community. People seem mm -hmm. to understand that um, no matter where they're coming from. Nice. Okay. That's, that's easy to understand. Um, and, and how'd you, uh, how'd you get the idea or, or start building indie worldwide? Cause I imagine, you know, it does, it wasn't just one day you build it and people will come, right? Like I'm sure it's been a, a journey to get to where you're at here. Yeah. I mean, so context for size now there's about 4,000 people that are like free members of indie worldwide. There's maybe about 300 paid members, right? It's fairly big. Uh, fairly big, but I didn't actually plan to start a business when I started Indie Worldwide. That wasn't okay. the idea or my goal. So about four years ago, I was already a software developer. I was a freelancer. I wanted to be an indie hacker and I was nomadic. So every couple of months I changed cities. Um, and wherever I'd go, I'd start uh, an indie hackers meetup. So I started indie hackers, Medellin, indie hackers like Boston, indie hackers, Mexico city but I'd move and I'd leave behind the community I created behind, right? Cause I'd move and then I would have to kind of start from scratch. And that got kind of lame cause I wanted to still be traveling, but I wanted to have like some persistent community and make friends over the long term. And so um, I started another one. This one was gonna be online. So it's indie hackers worldwide. Mm -hmm. uh, so I just started as a meetup group and we had like a once a month zoom call, not even once a month. Cause sometimes I'd forget to do one Yeah, and no Slack group, no, like any kind of group. Um, but you know, it was kind of a small hit from the beginning. Like we would always get like a dozen people showing up. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was collecting emails and, um, eventually we wanted to have like a chat room. Eventually, uh, we did lots of things and it kind of turned into a business slowly over time. Like I was already running it for over a year before I charged anybody, any money for anything. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, what I started to do was one-on-one introductions between people. So you'd give me some information about yourself. I'd find somebody cool each week for you to meet. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's when a couple of members were like, Hey, this is like pretty useful. Actually, I would pay for this. I'm like, really? And it's like, all right, would you pay like 40 bucks a year for it? And they're like, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> like, all right, cool. 40 bucks a year. Let's go. Yeah. And people signed up for that. So like first year we made maybe like five grand from, from people paying to join this like introductions club. And, um, so that was like two years ago. I was like, all right, I guess this is like a little indie business on its own. After all, like kind of accidentally stumbled into it. That's nice. Mm -hmm. Um, and then this year I was like, well, let's see how far we can take it. You know, like maybe we can make it, um, a full business. So a few months ago, I quit freelancing completely, um, started charging a monthly rate to join the community. So now there's a, a paywall to join the Slack and the events and get the one-on-ones and everything is kind of under one umbrella now. Uh, and it's like 30 bucks a month and people signed up and now we're making a couple grand consistently per month, which is great. And hopefully by the end of the year, it's, um, uh, even more money. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, congrats on all that. I, uh, I see you on Twitter. I know, uh, you know, it's growing by the day. So that's awesome. Congrats on uh, the success there. 
Um, where where are you finding most of the members, or or I guess early on, how are you meeting most indie hackers? Was it through Twitter? Was it through other mediums? Early early on, I mean, the first thing we did was we posted the meetups on the indie hackers website because they have like a meetup section, so we post our meetups there and people would come. Um, then I started like DMing people I thought were cool. I was like, hey, like I see you're an indie hacker, you want to come? Uh, that worked pretty well. I should probably do that more than I do even still. <laughs> sure. Now, like, my Twitter's gotten bigger, so I can just, like, tweet and people will show up to things, which is cool. Mm -hmm. um, and it's been more and more a lot of, like, word of mouth, right? Like, um, everyday people show up and they're from, like, referrals, right? Like, other people recommended that they check out their community. Mm -hmm. uh, so, right now, the biggest ones by far, the, right now, the biggest one is Twitter. And then right after that, it's, like, word of mouth. Yeah. Um, and I don't even know if there's, like, a close third. Probably, like... Uh, marketing launches because every now and then we'll launch something on like product hunt or Twitter or something that gets more attention than normal. Yeah, totally sweet. So one thing I, I want to talk about, cause I think, uh, communities like the one you're running obviously are super cool, right? Um, there's a ton of value in them for, for the people that are there, but in order to create value, you have to bring people in there to, uh, you know, provide that value. Right. So there's, there's some sort of a cold start problem, right. That, yeah. uh, you know, you have to have people in there to get more people to join, but how do you get those people in, in the beginning? Right. Like if I wanted to start a, let's say a, a group of e-commerce, uh, people that are successful in e-commerce and everyone can, uh, you know, be in a community there first, obviously you want to be successful yourself, right? Like you as, as an indie hacker, right? So you're already in there, you get to know people. But how do you get those first couple people in there to say like, hey, if you want access to these people, they're behind a paywall here? Yeah, you got to give something that's valuable without there being any other people involved first. So mm -hmm. for an e-commerce store, it's a good example because there's lots of things you can do. Like you could create uh, like a course, you could create a podcast and invite people onto your podcast. You could um, like gather a bunch of free resources and give them away something that people are getting value from day one without there needing to be any other people involved solves your cold start problem. So like the, we were doing the meetups, right? So I would just have an event like in a week or two, and then everybody could see people were already signed up for the like RSVP for the event. And that kind of solves the cold start problem. I just go invite people directly. Um, mm -hmm. So you can just brute force it a lot of the time. Uh, or like what a lot of uh, successful community I've seen do is they'll start with some kind of, um, media channel. So it might be a newsletter or a YouTube channel or a podcast, right? Build mm -hmm. an audience first and then try to turn some section of that audience into a community by offering more for the people who are really engaged. Yeah. Um, depending on what you're specifically trying to build a community around, you might have different options available to you. Mm -hmm. But whatever, whatever it is, it's just give value first. That doesn't rely on people. And then the community becomes like an extra thing. Yeah, totally. I, I think the, the biggest thing, right, is that if you, if you have no audience, if you have no, um, you know, network or whatnot, community is probably not the way to go, right? Like, like yeah, you I mean, I started want... with no audience, no network, really, you know, yeah. like, I started from zero and um, probably wasn't the way to go, you know, like, it took a long time to get it going, because I was starting from zero. I stuck with it long enough that it eventually just through like, sheer willpower succeeded. But um it's, it was, it was never supposed to be a business, right? So I was just doing it for fun as a hobby. So it's how I was able to do it for a long, such a long time. Cause it was just something I wanted to do. I wanted to make these friends, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you're trying to make money faster then like, yeah, it's not 
really a good business to start as like your first thing because mm-hmm. it's going to take way too long and you get there faster by building up some kind of marketing channel first, like creating content or building some other business that then gives you a reputation. This was yeah. definitely the hard. I think I did it the hard way. Um, so, just, but you know, sometimes it has to be done. Sometimes it yeah. has to be done the hard way, right? I couldn't quit. I tried to quit. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I was like, I got to go do something else, you know, but then people would be still active and like messaging and be like, all right, I guess I'll come back to it. It's like, oh, I guess I still want to make these friends. I guess I still want to learn these things. And so it just always kind of drew me back in and, uh, helped me overcome my worst tendencies of like shiny objects and German wanting to jump always to the next thing. It's like this one thing just happened. Like people liked it and kept coming back. And it's like, that kept me coming back, which, and I, like every few months I'd get a burst of inspiration to like do a few things to make the community better. And you, you know, you compound like a monthly improvement over like 50 months, or, like mm-hmm. I guess 40 months. And eventually it gets pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, that compounding anyway, right? Like if you compound work over time or you compound media, right? Like blog posts, it all compounds just like, uh, just like traditional returns do. And when we talk money, right. Um, so before you started indie worldwide, you were doing freelancing. Is that right? So like software engineer freelancing. Yeah. My specialty is the zero to one. So a few times in a row I've joined a startup where it's basically just the founders and myself, we figure out what needs to be built. We build the first version. I sup them up with like how they're going to work remotely, maybe even help them find some more contractors to join the team mm-hmm. and, uh, get their product launched in and, um, ready to go. So, um, I don't know how much you want me to dig into that, but yeah. Yeah. So were you taking equity in these deals or, or what did that setup look like? Uh, they were almost all just like cash deals. Um, okay. just like, Hey, this is my rate. Like, let me help you. <laughs> and then we go for it. And, uh, totally. um, so I, um, helped out a indie business. I guess they had some money called uh, Mixly, which is like a really easy to use event planning software. Um, helped out some friends that were building a, uh, like in-game advertising in Roblox. So I helped them build the like, um, kind of SaaS backend for that, the like a uh, web portal for, for, um, their users to manage their ads and stuff. They ended up selling that company in um, just around like a year for several million dollars. So that was a really good outcome for them. And then mm. I was working for most recently a house swapping startup called Kindred. When I joined, they was just like, again, just me and the founders and like one other advisor. Um, when I uh, left a couple months ago, they were already at like 20 people, raised a very large round from like A16Z and a bunch of cool people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's, I was like, I, I kind of built up the skill set building things for other people. And I realized, you know, maybe, maybe see if I can apply the skill set now for my own stuff. Now that I've kind of got the hang of it, of, yeah. um, kind of zero to one company building. Totally. And were you 1099 for them or were you doing uh W2 or were you W2 yeah, 1099. Employee? So like I have like a company that they contract with and then, mm-hmm. and then I pay myself as an employee from, from that. Okay. And was, was equity ever part of that conversation? I feel like, you know, those, those examples you just mentioned. Um, I ended up with some equity in the, in the latest one. Um, but that's the only one that I've have any, any equity in. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And so you, you completely stopped doing any of that. You're focused hundred percent on an indie worldwide now. Yeah. I can always go back to it, right? Like it's very easy to, to come back into it. I've actually taken breaks from it before and then ended up being like, oh, okay, I guess it wasn't quite ripe yet to like jump to full-time indie hacking. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because it is um, it is rewarding and it is like uh, faster money, right, to do consulting because you're just getting paid up front, yeah. which is great. Um, and now it's the new world. That, like I, I really do love the stability of like a monthly recurring revenue stream where it's like, okay, yeah, like I'm not feeling super productive this week, but I don't have to phone it in or anything. I can just go do other stuff. Like the money will still come in as long as they don't leave it too long. Like churn won't increase that much. Um, or like um, eventually like delegate everything to other people, including like customer support and product development and everything. And then, and then you just have a real business, right? And it yeah. continues to grow. You've got an asset now. Yeah, totally. Where where are you from originally? I'm from upstate New York. Okay, gotcha. And so, how long have you been? Uh, I guess living the the nomad lifestyle or traveling? It's been it's been about four years now. I started traveling, I think, in the like 2018. It's now mm-hmm. 2022, so about about four years. Okay. Would you still consider New York to be like your home base? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I said, yeah. Oh, I'm paying taxes to New York State, so. Ooh, <laughs> Ooh that's kind of a bummer. <laughs> yeah, I should probably move out of the state, but I, I know I spent a while there this year, so it still makes sense. Yeah, totally. So, were you? Did you ever have like the, um, I guess, the desire to go to you know a big company like one of the Fang companies and become a, a software engineer there and take that route? Um, I interviewed for some of the big companies like right out of college, but. <clears throat> Um, it, I, I never really worked my best work in an office and I realized mm-hmm. that pretty quickly on. And, uh, so once I started freelancing I re- and trying to build my own projects, I re- realized I was like way more satisfied with that style of work and also way more productive. And, mm-hmm. um, I'm not, I don't have to keep doing the same stuff all the time. Right. Like if I go work at Google or whatever, then I'm just a software engineer and I can only do software engineering. I haven't really coded hardly anything in the last couple of months and it doesn't matter, you know, cause like my job is whatever I define it to be right now. Mm-hmm. Totally. So with the, uh, with the no bad stuff, I've heard mixed reviews, right? Because in one area, like it's super cool. You get to see the world, stay in new places, but on the other side, like if you like a home base and like coming home and being more routine, it's probably not for you. What, what has your experience been with it? I mean, you can always slow down. Like nobody's yeah. forcing you to keep traveling, right? If you decide you'd like, a place you can figure out how to stay there most of the time, especially if you're coming from like a country with this good passport, like America. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I find a good pace is like three months in a place, six months in a place. Um, um the last couple months has been like, uh, like I've been a month in Lisbon. I'm going to be, I'm leaving on Saturday. I'm going to India and I'm going to probably spend a month there and then a month in Greece after that is the plan. Nice. Uh, I find that one month is really like the minimum to kind of feel any kind of stability in a place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ideally a few months would be even better, but I, I like to keep it mixed up. Like I'm, I was in New York for like six months earlier this year. Uh, and I was ready to go <laughs> after six months. I was like ready for something new, you know? Yeah. Um, I really, I get a lot of energy from the novelty and stuff, but it's definitely not for everybody. And, um, I'll probably at some point kind of settle into a, a couple different bases or, and I imagine too, if I ever have like kids or get married, then it'll change the equation a little bit. But for now, I really like the freedom and the, the especially the novelty. Yeah, totally. What's, uh, what's like your favorite place you've lived so far? Uh, Mexico city is where really? I spent the most time, uh, I've gone back there several times and, um, yeah, uh, I'll probably go back again next year for some what, part of it. What is it about Mexico? I, I've heard great things about Mexico City. 
Yeah, it um, it's got a lot going for it. I th- I want to try some other cities in Mexico to see if I like just Mexico overall or like particularly Mexico City. But um, it's like world class city. It's the biggest city in North America, right? It's like bigger than New York or LA. So it's got it's got a lot going for it. Just like in terms of culture and amenities and things. Uh, but it's way cheaper than any of those other cities in North America because it's in Mexico, yep. and um, it's really pretty. It's uh, I guess it's not very clean, and the air's dirty. Uh, food's amazing though, and super cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, very just livable. And if you like, most of the time I was there, I was working for U.S. clients, and so yeah. the time zones really worked out too. Where totally. When if I needed to go anywhere, it's really short flight, and also like. Um, it's so easy to like schedule calls or anything because you're right in like um, I think mountain time, you know, like central time. So California, mm-hmm. New York, yeah, it's really easy to, to to work with. Yeah, nice. So I'll jump back into uh, like I want to dive a little bit more into indie worldwide and how that's going. So right now, is it just you, or do you have a, a team that's helping you out as well, or, or freelancers in that regard? Uh, I'm the only full time. There's some. Uh, freelancers and also some volunteers right now that are helping run it. So like um, person writing our newsletter right now is a volunteer, Andre, shout out Andre. And uh, uh, my friend Dante is helping me out on the podcast. Um, I'm contracting with a consultant named Samantha, who's really good on kind of the overall community design and the events. Mm-hmm. And we're also using like an unlimited design service by another community member named Alex. It's called Team Town that mm-hmm. does all of our designs. Um, but as far as full-time employees, I'm the only one. Nice. Nice. And have you had any like, like, oh shit moments yet running this business? Any stories you oh, can shit share? Good or oh shit bad. Uh, either one, either one. I think, uh, I don't know if you have one for both. I think like every, it seems like every business owner kind of runs into like a, oh shit, like, I keep, like this is bad, right? Like, uh, I wasn't expecting oh, shit, this. Bad. To I always fuck up emails somehow. Like, okay. um, I I I I, um, I feel like I've got like an email curse, and I always end up sending out emails I shouldn't have sent in terms of like to the wrong people, or like some automation goes haywire and people get a shit ton of emails all at once or something. Mm-hmm. Um, this seems to happen to me on a regular basis. Like every six months, I have some kind of email problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, oh shit. Good. Um, well, just like indie hacking in general, like I launched a website called Healthcare is Dumb that went like semi-viral for a few days. That was really cool because it got like, you know, like 100,000 hits in like a day or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I got that same kind of oh shit good moment when we launched the Indie Worldwide 100 Users in 100 Days Challenge, which we've done twice now. Because mm-hmm. that also kind of took off on like product time and stuff and got like hundreds of people, both times now, hundreds of people have signed up through the, that challenge to like... Um, so the, the challenge is just what it sounds like. Get 100 new paying users in 100 days. It's catchy. Um, it's like aspirational. So and it's and it's we run it for free. So people sign up in droves. Um, that's really good. And also like the first time people paid me for anything. Like when I launched um, the 101 matching service on Product Hunt, a bunch of people signed up and I made like a few hundred dollars in, in the first day and a couple grand over the first month from that. I was like, great, that's awesome. Like, oh shit, I'm making money. Yeah. Uh, so those are those shit goods. Totally. I really like that, uh, that hundred users in, in a hundred days as like a marketing, uh, I guess channel. Cause you know, other people do it. Let's say like you could use it in fitness, right? Like lose 30 pounds in, in 60 days, right? Like join this. And then you kind of get them in the ecosystem. Um, and, and you can, you know, 
bring them in later. How many people have participated in that? And uh, is there like a success rate you could share? Yeah, there's like, so round one, I think we had like about 500 or 600 people signed up and about 10%-ish um, submitted data. So mm-hmm. the retention was low for like submitting data throughout. Maybe like more than that submitted data, but it's like 10% were still submitting data at the end. So like 50 and then like 10 actually made it to 100. That's actually okay. pretty good. And that like, like in any kind of business, especially where you have like a big tackle the funnel, you're going to see that kind of like drop off. Wasn't mm-hmm. terrible. Um, I think we've improved on it a bit this round, so I don't have final stats yet because we're only, we're still on like day 75, I think, 76. Mm-hmm. So it's like 25 days left. Mm-hmm. Um, but so far, slightly fewer people signed up. So I think last year was like 600. This year it's like 500 or something like that. And then, but participation rates have been higher because I did a bunch of re- like um, incentivizing on the structure of the challenge to get people to keep submitting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't have final numbers, but I think more people have already passed the 100 users sent it last time. I think there's been like 20 that have done it already. Nice. Like and double last time. Yeah, totally. And what's the, uh, what's like the aspects of the challenge, right? Is there like daily meets or weekly meets or something or like, uh, you know, yeah, so different resources? First of all, you can check me on this data yourself because if you go to 100 and 100.co, Mm-hmm. Um, one of the main things of this challenge is there's a public leaderboard. So you can just go and see how many people have hit a hundred. Like that's where I go to get the data too. Yeah. Um, so you got the public accountability through the leaderboard. Um, once you've submitted some updates, then you unlock, uh, challenge, you unlock some benefits. So you unlock, um, weekly masterminds, like once, mm-hmm. once a week, um, uh, there's like four or five different times you can pick from and people meet up um, once we to discuss their, their products and like how they're going in the challenge and their goals, uh, for next week, then you unlock, um, uh, like a dedicated page for your product. Like everybody that signs up has their own page. Uh, let's see, let me just check the website. Cause like, yeah, <laughs> let me see what people get. <laughs> let's do it. Uh, let's see. Yeah. You get to join the Slack community. So once you submit yep. an update, you get an invite to join the the group, which is normally a paid thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we have mentorship. So once you've submitted a couple updates, you can apply or you can like submit to get one-on-one mentorship from um, a bunch of cool people, uh, like experts in marketing, other indie hackers, people who've already made like a million dollars or more from their products. And then we've been doing a ton of webinars. So we've done like almost an event per week throughout the challenge with different webinars and stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, it was like, uh, it was like, um, yeah, the kickoff, um, we had one on product, finding product market fit. We had one to help you find a co-founder. Uh, just like landing page feedback, learning different productivity frameworks. Um, then we had a demo day halfway through where our guest speaker was the founder of micro acquire. Mm-hmm. And then like 20 of the founders who'd made significant progress presented their products live. That was a lot of fun. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had Dan Vasalo come and do a talk. And then we had mm-hmm. Elliot Boucher do one on positioning. Uh, and then at the end of the challenge, we're going to have another big demo day and invite like, um, 
you know, potential customers, investors, whoever, whoever you might want to be presenting your startup to. And yeah. Can demo again. Nice. That, uh, you said, uh, like co-founder introductions or, or meet a co-founder. Do you have a, do you mainly have technical people? Or do you also find like a mix of like myself, I'm, I'm not technical at all. So like I, uh, I'm working with my co-founder, he's technical. And then I handle, you know, marketing emails, things like that. Do you find like you have a mix or is it mainly technical people? Yeah, it's a pretty good split actually. Like I would say we have maybe a bit more technical than non-technical, but it's fairly even. Um, mm -hmm. and any worldwide is actually, or like communities in general are probably good ways to find potential co-founders if that's what you're looking for. Yeah. Um, whether you'd be surprised too, like I think the stereotype is often that the technical founders are inundated with offers to like go work on somebody's startups, right? But actually, if you're actually provably good at your job as a non-technical founder, then you're, you are in, in demand. Um, like if you're coming into the relationship with already an, an audience or like um, already traction on your product, then it kind of flips a little bit. It's like dating in your thirties. Like you're suddenly more desirable because like you've, you've proven you've, you've got something valuable to add to the relationship. Right. Yeah. Um, so if you are that kind of, um, like a marketing founder who, who, or a sales founder, who's like actually really good at their job and can prove it, then, um, there's lots of technical co-founders that would love to work with you. Uh, yeah. Yeah, totally. I think it, the big part is bringing that value, right? Um, I think a good example of that is uh, if you know J.K. Molina on Twitter, mm -hmm. right? He's part of Tweet Hunter, um, but obviously he's not technical, but he brings a hundred thousand followers, and obviously the marketing side that uh, you know is is highly needed and probably a, a major part of the success of, of Tweet Hunter in general. Um, yeah. One question I get with people that I I talk to on Twitter a decent amount. Um, you know, they'll say like, Hey, like, I, I really want to go full time into this. Like I don't have an income from the side yet. Uh, they might be working a job, let's say like a, you know, a Stripe or, or maybe they're even in college. I've talked to a few people that are in college, they're getting out and they're saying like, Hey, I have these big offers at these companies, but like, I'd much rather do my own thing. What's your, what's your recommendation on like <laughs> jumping into it with, uh, you know, kind of burning the, burning the ship and just jumping into it. Yeah, probably don't jump into it unless you already have savings. So yeah. there's a couple different paths that work pretty well. One is go work with a big company first or just wherever you can get a job and try to save up um, like a few, a couple years, ideally, of runway. Then mm -hmm. you're not pressed. Like I probably saved up um, like a hundred grand before I really felt comfortable just jumping in full time and knowing I'd be able to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And then um, the other way to do it, which I also did, is work on your startup part-time like nights and weekends until it gets enough traction that you can uh, comfortably jump over and kind of a halfway point in between like full-time job and um, indie hacker is freelancer because mm -hmm. that gives you control over your time and your schedule control over your rates control over how much money you're making in a lot of ways and it's also teaching you to start learning some of the business things that you need like how to incorporate how to like invoice clients um, how to sell yourself uh, so like freelancing, I think it's a, it's a really good kind of stepping stone. It's, I yeah. call freelancing the bootstrapper seed round. It's like, gives you an opportunity to self fund. And it also kind of, um, the extra benefit it has, which the seed round doesn't is it teaches you some business skills. Yeah, totally. And how, how are you going about finding most of your freelance gigs? Was it websites or like word of mouth? Um, it was 
mostly word of mouth by the end. When I started it, like cold start problem, right? Like who's going to refer to you at the beginning? Well, mm-hmm. like if you go to, if you're coming out of college and you actually probably do have a network, even if you don't realize that like all your friends are now working at companies, then they might mm-hmm. need help. Um, especially if they're not at big companies, if they're at startups. Um, but my very first gig I got by volunteering at a conference. Um, mm-hmm. I was in, I was already in San Francisco cause I'd been working a job and I switched to freelancing and I went, um, just to volunteer at this conference. And I was just kind of chit-chatting with all the speakers and stuff. Cause I was at the green room, green room or whatever. That's where they put me. And then one mm-hmm. of them ended up hiring me to help them build a product. Um, so that was gig number one, gig number two came through a friend reached out and they were like, Hey, like I'm recruiting, like, are you interested in applying for jobs? And I'm like, no, but, oh, you're growing really fast. That's crazy. Cause like I run this like freelancing team, you can hire us and we'll help you scale faster. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, okay, cool. Like, let me get you on the phone with like our CTO and you guys can talk about that. So I like, hung up the phone, called my friends, like, Hey friends, you want to like start a freelancing <laughs> company? Like I got a big gig. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and yeah, then that turned into like a, a pretty big gig actually that, and that contract ended up being worth, worth like 50 grand. And that was my second mm-hmm. one. Right. And I was like subcontracting it. But then I was like, whoa, that was like an oh shit moment. Cause it's like, first it was oh shit good. It's like, oh man, that's a lot of money. But then I was like, oh shit, like I got to manage a product and don't really know how to do that. <laughs> so yeah. I kind of learned it on the fly. Uh, we delivered the product, but like integration was kind of a headache and soured. Like we didn't end up getting more work from them because like the integration was so like, um, uh, painful. And so mm-hmm. like it, it taught me a lot of lessons the hard way of like, yeah, really define the terms if you're deliverable, who's in charge for what, like, how is it, how's the product going to like marry into the rest of the business that you're building it for. So that's project, project number two, that gave me some runway. Project number three, I think I posted on like Hacker News, um, who's hiring or like freelancers, uh, contractors post this, like, they have mm-hmm. like every month they have a, a thread for people looking for full-time jobs and also people looking for contract jobs. So I posted there. That's how I ended up with the Mixly gig. And then um, I think after that, it's just kind of word of mouth took over. It's just like referrals. Yeah, totally. That So that first one, um, when you basically had the contract and you had to go figure it out, were you looking at that as more of like, a, hey, like I'm running a business now. So like I, I have to you know, hire this out, right? Like I'm basically going to arbitrage time. Like, like, uh, you know, I'm going to pay them for this work and I'm going to kind of own this as a business or are you more like, Hey guys, like let's split this up and, and let's get this done all together. Uh, it was kind of like a mix of the both. Um, it was like my main job was to kind of be the project manager of that, which I wasn't that good at yet. <laughs> uh, I knew if I had to, I could probably build most of it, but like it, the scope was too big to do on my own. And so mm-hmm. I just hired my friends who were like a couple years older, more experienced to do the building. Yeah. Um, and then, um, eh, we got it done. Um, but, but yeah, the, I think the, the main thing I learned was like project management is like a big headache. Maybe I don't want to start a freelance agency, which I kind of like when I first got the gig, I was like, okay, maybe I can just do this bigger and bigger and like mm-hmm. build an agency. And I was like, uh, this is a lot of work. If I'm going to do all this work, I'd rather own a product company, like build software. Like this is actually, it's actually very stressful to manage a service business when it's not productized because an unproductized service business means that every gig is going to be basically, um, unique, right? Like you're starting from scratch every single time 
you have to really hammer out the details of the contract or you or you end up like in the situation I did where like the deliverable is tricky or you're going back and forth like we delivered the product no it's missing this it's like okay like but that's not in the contract it's like but it should mm-hmm. be implied but there's no such thing as implied you know like, <laughs> um and it made me realize like okay like running a business is like fairly stressful and like if I'm going to run a business I want to run one where the service is more productized like um it's clear like you give me x money you get product y and like okay everyone's happy at the point of transaction and like there's no nothing else to like do and so um that's when i started down more towards the path of like the indie hackers like i want to build a product i want something where people yeah. are, are buying it but um i don't want to have just like a couple huge customers a month where i really have to be on the phone all the time and like managing the relationship i want it to be like uh, a bit more um easy to run than that uh, yeah just like creates a, a, a better business, right? Like your margins are higher when your service is productized. Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I uh, I, I was in a, I guess you'd call it a, a software company, but it was kind of, um, it was kind of like a, a service business. And I actually had uh, Stetson Stallworth on here a couple of weeks back and he's basically building a remote cleaning business. Um, so basically, you know, charging by the hour and then paying, uh, let's say the cleaners $30 and he's charging 50. So he's keeping 20 off the top, um, which is all great until a customer calls and they say, wait, my house wasn't completely cleaned or, you know, there's a, there's something wrong or, or something's broken, right? There's just a lot that can happen with service businesses when it's not, when it's not productized with that yeah. said, I think it is the fastest way to, uh, to start creating cash flow. For right, sure. like, cause it's it's like you need a service. I will provide that service. Yes, there's a lot of like what SaaS business things. can you make like even ten grand in the first month with none? Yeah. What service mm-hmm. business can you make ten grand in the first month? Most of them, a lot. It's like you yeah, just yeah. that's one deal if you're like an engineer. Um, I realized like I didn't want to have to manage like six different relationships at once. So I was like, all right, let me just be the one man freelance team. I'll make similar money, but with less overhead. I still have to do the thing now. So I'm using way more of my own time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, it was, it's just, it's much like being a one man band is a much, so much less overhead to manage because you just only bite off as much as you personally can chew and you know that you can chew it. Right. Yeah. Yep. Totally. And there's only one person to blame at the end of the day. Right. Uh, <laughs> awesome. So, uh, the last part that I like to go into, so so I write a weekly newsletter called Three Ideas on Sunday, um, mm-hmm. and basically every Sunday I send out a new business idea. Um, so so like an idea that someone could go start, and you know how I would get customers, how I would go about building it, um, and maybe even the potential of it. Um, so I'd love to hear a business idea that you may have that you may not be starting, maybe you will in the future, um, but something you think that would be really cool to work on. Um, there was one I put down a long time ago that it'd be nice if someone took back up, but I just like wasn't technical enough or skilled enough to pull it off, which was, um, so, you know, like walk score. Mm-hmm. So like walk score tells you how nice a neighborhood is to live in at like a fairly granular level, like street by street, but based on like, are there sidewalks? Like how close is the nearest grocery store? Like, can you walk to the school? Like thing is there public transportation, things like that. So I wanted to do the same thing, kind of like an overlay sort of map that tells you not um, how nice a neighborhood is to walk through, but how vulnerable different places are to natural disasters. Um, Mm. So like 
oh, if I'm going to buy a home here, um, what kind of insurance should I buy? Do I need earthquake insurance? Like, is it going to burn down? Is it like a flood risk? Um, because like, I don't know, that's something I think about a lot. I realized like it might not be a consumer product though. It might be more like an insurance product. I kind of got in over my head with like trying to wrangle all the data. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's a lots of this data, especially in the U S is available through like publicly available data sets. Mm -hmm. So you could, um, collate all these data sets into a single unified database, call it like I was calling it, um, climate score, I think. And then, um, um, and then you could use like probably programmatic SEO to generate a, a page for like every single neighborhood and address like, oh, what's the earthquake risk for like San Antonio, Texas or whatever, like mm -hmm. low, what is it for Seattle high? But then you can, for every city, you have like eight different natural disasters that you can talk about. And it's not just every city, it's every single neighborhood. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think that could be a cool business, but it's, it's probably not an indie business. It's probably something you go raise money for. And like, eventually you're selling a product to like municipalities or insurance agent agencies, um, or something like that. So that's one, yeah. that's one idea. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, that hits home a little bit. I'm in North Carolina, right? We like, we have hurricane rumors this weekend, so it's definitely a thing. I wonder if what you could do though, is if you could use it as more of just like a lead generation website, right? So like if you built it out and you said like, hey, look up like how susceptible, put in your, plug in your address, look at like all the history here um, and the type of insurance you're probably gonna need. Here's the yeah. insurers that can help and, and bam. And I bet those referral, um, yeah, referral payments would be big. Payments to insurance um, companies are like a couple hundred dollars per lead, I think. Like if you send mm -hmm. someone into an insurance company's website, that's high intent they'll pay you a couple hundred bucks for it. So you might not need all that much traffic to make it be a pretty sizable business. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And so how would you, um, well, I guess we kind of went over that, right? But like, how would you start? So you'd go out and get these data sets and, and sort of plug them all in and make it almost like a, a, a product that you could uh, easily use. Yeah. It'd be like your one-stop shop. Like one, probably most people come in through Google. It'd be like earthquake risk, North Carolina. And then hopefully mm -hmm. you can win the SEO battle for that. So mm -hmm. uh, it was a few years ago when I was first looking at it, but someone might have moved into the space by now. Earthquake risk. Let's see, uh, North Carolina. Uh, looks like it's a .gov. So if we get more granular, like uh, Raleigh, maybe. Raleigh. Uh, yeah, you're... Is homefacts.com. They didn't exist before, so maybe they're doing this now. Mm -hmm. But I, I do think there's a way that you could sort of pull this off almost no code and, and sort of indie to begin with, right? Like if you can build it out for specific areas that you can get the SEO terms on, right? Yeah. Like you just, just focus on 10 major hubs. Maybe you go to like Oklahoma, you go to North Carolina, Florida, California, and Seattle, right? Well, the power of having the data. So like, um, there's a bunch of services now that make programmatic SEO a lot easier, even like a no code task. So there's one mm -hmm. that one of our members, Sukpal was working on called LaunchMan. Um, I probably use like LaunchMan, like get all my data into like an air table, hook it up to LaunchMan, generate, you know, 50,000 pages. Um, just kind of go really broad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I wrote a, a thread on something kind of similar, um, where if you, if you type in like, um, 
rent to own in North Carolina, right? So like you're gonna, if you're interested in like renting a house that eventually you can start paying off and own it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there's a few different websites that you can tell they're owned by the same exact company. Um, and when you want to look at the price of houses, all the houses are the same on each website, but if you want to look at the, the price of the house, you have to put in your email, sign up for all this stuff, and you have to, there's a checkbox, right? And it says, I uh, agree to give my information to this uh, credit repair company, right? So immediately you're sent in as a lead to this credit repair company. I'm sure the referral mm. fees on that are high, if, the, if, if not, if the credit repair company doesn't own those websites, right? But I think they're, they're idea there is like, hey, if someone's looking at rent to own, they probably don't have the best credit, right? Because they can't go out and get a traditional mortgage and, and buy their own house. So like, bam, we're going to take these in as leads. And it's actually not, not really in the same realm, right? Like credit repair and, and rent to own isn't like something you'd necessarily think about, but I bet you they absolutely crush it. Yeah. I think it shows like, um, the most valuable thing you can own is attention, right? Like mm -hmm. once you have attention, there's lots of ways to monetize it. Yeah. Yep. I totally agree. Awesome. Well, with that, um, any, I really appreciate you, uh, you joining me here today. Anything you want to, uh, to leave off with or, or anything you want to plug? Um, yo, just like stick with it. <laughs> don't go broke. <laughs> as long as you don't go broke, you're, uh, you're doing all right. And, uh, yeah, if you want to, um, check out Indie Worldwide. We're at IndieWorldwide.com. If you want to connect with me personally, I'm the most active on Twitter. Just Anthony Castrio. Awesome. Any uh, any like crypto coins you want to plug or anything like that? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. All right. Uh, well, thanks, man. With that, I will I will end it here.